So how do you how do you wrap up a letter? Let's suppose you're you're writing a letter. The the utility company has uh, kind of got things mixed up with your account, and you're writing them a letter to straighten them out. How do you end that letter? What what what, what do you put at the bottom? Sincerely yours, right? I, I've read that in England they they say faithfully, but apparently in America the standard phrase is sincerely yours, at least for a formal letter. For an informal letter, may, maybe you might put regards or fond regards or something like that. And then for somebody, if it's a friend or family, you might say love, right? These are kind of stock phrases we put at the end of our letters. And we're looking at a uh, a, a letter. We're looking at a series of letters and the Bible actually has a number of letters, and we're, we've been looking at them because uh, at the end of the letters is often this this phrase that is a blessing, but it's not a stock phrase. It's it's a particular phrase that has a particular meaning. Like I suppose, once upon a time, sincerely meant you know this is really my signature at the bottom or something. I I don't know where sincerely came from, but it probably started with a meaning, and this phrase at the bottom of the letters in the Bible has a meaning too. The Bible actually has a number of letters in it, and what we've been looking at is that they end, or more of them than, than not, end with this uh, uh, thing at the bottom called a benediction or a blessing. A benediction is a good word we saw last week. It's a good word. It's, it's asking uh, somebody for something on your behalf. So I'm putting in a good word for you. I'm giving you a benediction. I'm saying, may God do this thing for you. And, uh, and, and what we've seen is that there are a number of letters uh, a lot of the church leaders, we just heard from, from one written by John, a lot of the early leaders in the church, John and Peter and Paul and, and um, James, wrote these letters, and they were, they were recognized by the church, people who had actually seen the risen Jesus, people who had friends who had seen Jesus. They said, you know, these letters are special. You know, we, we know Paul wrote at least one other letter that was not kept. It was not viewed by the early church as being particularly valuable forever. And so it was kind of, you know, it, I'm sure they, they read it, but they didn't keep it. They didn't say this is something that at more was at work here than just Paul writing. They said in the case of the letters that we've got, they looked at them and they said, this letter is inspired. God was at work writing this letter as well as Paul or as well as Peter. And so they said, these letters are going to become part of what would eventually become our Bible. They became the, the New Testament. Uh, most of the New Testament, except for a couple of historical books, are letters. And so when we read them, Paul or Peter, John, James, they're actually concluding their letters with a blessing, not just for those first century people, but also for us. So that's why we've been looking at these benedictions, to understand what it is that those early church leaders were saying um, or that God was saying through them to us. And last week what we saw is that they typically begin, I mean, they, they, they typically uh, are about grace. Uh, there's 16 letters that have a benediction at the end. Out of, there's 21 letters. 16 of them have a benediction at the end. And of those 16, 14 end with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So that's where they all begin. And what we saw last week is that grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's the idea that no matter what you think about the matter, no matter whether you think you're lovable or unlovable, no matter what the circumstances of your life might lead you to think that maybe God is punishing you or that you did something and God's going to let you, you know, kind of uh, keep digging your own hole or whatever, um, that no matter what you may think, grace is the idea that God loves you, that God doesn't hate you, 
that God actually loves you, that you enjoy the favor of God, not because of any merits that you have earned it with, but simply because God loves you. Like we heard in the first reading, uh, the, the prophet, or Moses tells the people of God that it wasn't because of anything that you could point out. You weren't a great big people. It was just because God loves you. Grace is that idea. And 14 of these letters, 14 of the 16, begin there with the idea of grace. And so, um, the, the idea of grace is that unmerited favor. And that's what we see in the reading today. We see the, the writer says this, God's love was revealed in us, uh, among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the writer is saying grace. He's saying that, that we have this God who loves us and we have proof of that. It's not just, it's not just a, a nice theory. It's not just wisdom handed down from some scribe from a previous century or something like that. He's saying we have a historical fact. We're aware of an event that happened in the lifespan of people you know. He was writing in the first century that there was this historical event that Jesus came to earth. He lived and he died and he was raised and people saw that. So he said, this is not just a wisdom. It's not just a philosophical reflections about God. This is proof. We have proof that God loves us. And the, the, the proof is this, is this, uh, reality that he sent his son, um, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. So he says, there is this historical fact. We didn't earn it. It's not that we loved him and then he responded to our love. It was unmerited. God favors us just because that's the kind of God he is. So uh, the, the writer is saying this is a historical fact, which leads to the question, if it's a historical fact, if it's something that has already happened, we already have the proof of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, why would you end your letters with it? Why would you say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you? if you're pointing back to something that's already happened. Why would you say that? Well, uh, in any congregation, particularly in the first century, but as we see nowadays as well, there's people in a congregation who haven't heard that, and they need to know that. They're, they're looking at their life, their life's in a shambles, or whatever it is that's going on with them, and they need to hear, God doesn't hate you. They need to know that they too enjoy that unmerited favor of God. Or maybe they need to hear it again because they heard it and for a long time it made sense, but then things happened. Life got complicated and now they need to hear it again because they'll hear it for the first time even though they've heard it before. So that's part of the reason. But the other part of the reason is that this is a shorthand for a longer phrase. One of the letters, the one that we looked at last week, Second Corinthians 13, ends with a longer benediction and it includes two other parts. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but then it continues, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. So today we're going to look at the love of God, and next week we'll wrap it up with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This phrase that we see at the end of the letters is actually shorthand for this longer concept, the idea that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is proof of the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So, that's what we're going to look at today. And to understand it, we're about to look at verse 11. But before we do, I was trying to think, how can we understand this idea of grace uh, in a way that helps us to understand what comes next? 
Because what we can do is we can hear it as, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and read verse 11. It says, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. And it's easy to hear that as um, uh, God made an investment in us. That God God looked at us and decided, you're worth saving because I can see you're going to do something later. So essentially, that God is is looking at kind of a distressed property and deciding to, to make an investment in it in the hopes of getting a return later. And that's not the correct way of hearing it, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to give you two examples that help us get our head wrapped around grace and how love comes after it. So e- either of these work, neither one's in the Bible, so whichever one you like better or, or come up with your own. But here's the idea. Suppose suppose you need you need something, you, you need... You, you need a tissue transplant. You need you need a blood donation. And you've got something rare about you, and there's only one person in the whole world who can do that. And the problem is you have a relationship with that person, and you don't like each other, or at least you don't like them. They they've they've got their uh, you know they they lent you their their lawnmower, and it's still in your garage. You've kind of treated them badly, um, but they're the only one who can give you that that uh, uh, transplant or that donation of whatever kind. You need something from them. They're the only one who can do it, but you haven't treated them well. So you're lying there in the hospital wondering, can you make the phone call? Can you actually call them up and say, hey, I could really use a kidney right now or something like that? And they show up in the hospital and they say, I heard you needed a kidney. And so I've talked to the doctors and I'm going to donate mine. That's what grace is. Or another another example of grace. Let's suppose you needed ten million dollars and you didn't have it. I know some of you do, but I don't. So just just work with me. So so imagine you needed ten million dollars and you don't have it. And you need it right away. But you live next door to Bill Gates. Bill Gates has eighty one billion dollars. So he can he can he can front you the money. But but the problem is you've spent the last twenty years dissing Microsoft. Okay, you've got a Mac and you tell everybody they shouldn't get involved with Windows, things like that. So, so you're in this situation of, can I, you know, you know, you're trying to kind of motivate yourself to call up Bill and say, hey, can I borrow 10 billion, 10 million dollars from you? Um, and instead, again, he comes over, he knocks on the door and he says, hey, um, I understood that you needed 10, 10 million dollars. Here's 10 million dollars. Okay, here's my check. Trust me, it'll, it'll clear. So, that's an example of grace. Uh, in both cases, there there is something you needed desperately, but you didn't earn. And in fact, you did things that would have made it very awkward to have that conversation if you'd been the one who initiated it. That is grace. It is unearned favor. It's somebody, somebody helping you in a way that you couldn't have justified. They did it simply because they're nice people. So that's the idea of grace, and that's where we start. All of these benedictions start with the idea of grace. But then the question is, what happens next? If you're like a lot of people, if you're in that situation, you just received some kind of a, a, a donation, a, a kidney or, or a blood donation or whatever it was you needed, you got that from somebody. What a lot of people would do is they'd say, well, I want to repay that, but I can't, right? I mean, I don't have a spare kidney to give back, so I can't repay this. So what do you do? You pay it forward, right? You say, I'm going to try and, and work out my debt by being good to other people. Maybe I can't give a kidney, but I will, I'll fund a, a scholarship for underprivileged children or something. I will somehow pay off this debt by paying it forward. I can't pay it backward, but
but I can pay it forward. That's what a lot of people would do. If you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, you know that's basically the idea. I'm, I'm going to spoil it, but it's been out 20 years. Um, at the end, at the end, the the one, the lieutenant played by Tom Hanks says, a captain, I guess. Um, he says, he says, earn this. And so, what we see at the end in the in the cemetery in Normandy is Private Ryan says, "Have I been a good person?" He's asking, "Have I paid it forward? Have I successfully earned the good that people did for me back during the war?" That's the way a lot of people would respond to that situation. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is you say, you know what, the world would be better if there were more people like Bill Gates or like the, my neighbor who donated the, the, the kidney or whatever. I just want to change the way the world operates. I want to model my life after that person. I want to be more like them and less like I used to be. So these are, these are different ways we might say, I have received grace. What is the appropriate response from me, the appropriate response is either maybe to pay it forward or maybe just to kind of change the way I think about the world, change the way I think about loving other people. I want to be different. I want to be more like that person and less like who I used to be. So those are great images, and if they work for you, they're good. But what we're going to see in, in this passage is there's actually an even better image. And it's this. He says, he says, Beloved, since since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. So pay it forward or change the way you think about people and start start loving them yourself. But then he goes on, he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. He says, he says it's better than that. It's not that you have to somehow repay this debt by paying it forward. It's not even that you have to change the way you've always thought about your neighbor who donated or uh, who gave you all the money or whatever. It's something else. It's that Jesus has hooked you up Jesus has connected you back to God when the connection was severed. Jesus reestablished that connection, and now God's love can flow through you. Now God's love can actually begin not simply to wash over you, but to flow through you and out of you. So he says that's why the love of God is perfected in us, because God lives in us. God is flowing through us. And then he goes on, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us of his spirit. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next week. But he goes on, he says, we have seen and do testify. Remember, this is a letter written in the first century uh, to, to people who themselves may have seen the risen Jesus. Or maybe their, their friend who now lives, uh, their own neighbor can tell them, yeah, I actually saw him. This is the first thing he says, we know, um, we have seen and we do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. And he says, God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. He's saying, this is the reality. As you live into this truth, as you lean your life against this fact, this confession of Jesus as Son of God, what you will find is that God's power, God's love flows through you. And so he says, so we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And then he returns to this idea of perfection. What does it mean to be perfected in love? He says this, Love has been perfected among us in this. We may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. What does that mean? It means you changed your understanding of God. That's really what God has been about. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he said that sin ultimately is refusing to believe that God desires your happiness and fulfillment. 
So that's St. Ignatius of Loyola. He said, sin ultimately is refusing to believe that God desires your happiness and fulfillment. If you think back to the garden, there's a, there's a, all the trees that you could eat from and then the one that, that God said don't eat from. Sin is saying God's holding something back. The best tree is right there. That's the one I should have. And that God has no interest in my well-being. God is holding back the good tree and I can't have that tree. Sin is refusing to believe that God desires your happiness and fulfillment. So love is perfected when we realize, no, actually God does have our happiness and fulfillment in mind. That is his desire. And the proof of it, or the way we know that, is this. He says, um, uh, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear that God is going to get even with us somehow. God is not giving us enough rope. God is not letting us dig our own grave. God is not doing that because the proof of it is if he wanted to, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. He wouldn't have sent his son to connect us back to him. So he says we can have boldness in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love, remember, because he first loved us. So, the idea here is that we have grace. You got the kidney. You got the $10 million. What you do next is up to you. He's not going to, you know, kidnap you and take your kidney back. God's grace is yours. The question is, is that the end? The question is, will you then use the love that God has given you? Will you simply let it wash over you, or will you let it flow through you and out of you? That's the picture here. He says, because God has loved us, we ought to love one another. He says, if we do, then God abides in us. God lives in us. So what's the application? The application is love one another. He says, in fact, he says in, in verse 20, those who say, I love God, I love my neighbor because he donated, he donated $10 million when I needed it, but don't act the same way. It never changes them. They don't really love their neighbor. I mean, they, they're happy for the $10 million, but they don't love their neighbor. It never changed the way they thought about their neighbor. So he says, if you say, I love my neighbor, I love God, I love, I love the person who helped me when I needed it, but then they hate their brothers and sisters, they're liars. They do not love, a, if they do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's, that's the image. If God's love doesn't change you in some way, then you don't really love God. And he says the commandment, Jesus himself tells us that we are to love one another. So, what do we do? The answer is, we love one another. We love our brothers and sisters. We love our neighbors. We love the people who are unlovable. We learn that if God loves them, maybe they're lovable in a way we didn't appreciate. So, how do you apply this? Well, first of all, you get to choose whether to apply it. That's, that's your decision. It's up to you to decide whether you will love one another. The commandment is you should. But you don't have to. You've already received the grace. But the way you apply it is you ask yourself, do I love? Do I love my neighbors? Because if I don't love my neighbors, I don't love God. So ask yourself, am I a loving person? Have 
I change the way I view other people. And if you haven't, or if you'd like to be more loving, then pray to God. Say, God, let more of your love flow through me. Don't let it just bounce off me. Let it flow through me and out of me. Let me be a conduit of your love. The benediction begins with the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which teaches us and connects us to the love of God. So, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.